If you will, and if you're able to stand, please do stand with me at the reading of God's word. I want you to know before even I read the passage, uh, how I'm summarizing what we're about to read. And the, the title of this sermon is When the Rebels Go Spilling Out. That is intentionally graphic. When the rebels go spilling out. And as we read, I want you to decide, have I been too graphic? How is it that God, what images does God give about what's coming at the end of time? And where this passage is leading to? Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth. And gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridal for 1600 stadia. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. You understand why I'm calling the sermon when the rebels go spilling out. I wonder if you heard what I wanted you to hear when I say those words, uh, which is the background of those those words. It's It's a tune I think you know well. When the saints go marching in. When the saints go marching in was made popular almost 100 years ago by Louis Armstrong. But it was a. A song that was actually written way before that. American slaves 
wrote that song based on the hope that they found when they were studying the book that God has us studying, the book of Revelation. And so they sang when they were reading the book of Revelation, oh, how I want to be in that number. As the rest of the song goes, when the trumpet sounds its call. Oh, how I want to be in that number when they crown him Lord of all. When the saints go marching in. Oh, how I want to be in that group of people who, right before our passage, look up in chapter 14, verse 13. I want to be in that group that is resting from their labors. Because they no longer need to fight the way that Christians right now need to fight all the temptations that we face in this world. What, what may be most important is where the saints are going. Where, where that number is marching to. And we, we saw that at the beginning of our chapter. Look again in chapter 14 and verse 1. The saints will be with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Well, that, that was the basis of their, their tune that gave them so much hope. But, but as that song comes to us today, somewhere along the way, we've forgotten what place they were talking about. Uh, Fats Domino was an artist who would, would, would finish all of his concerts, um, in New Orleans by singing when the saints go marching in. And for him, he was saying, this is heaven. New Orleans, of all places, is heaven. Or, or you think about those families during wartime who sang this song. And what they were singing was that they wanted their soldiers, not, not the saints of God, but their own soldiers to come marching home. Somewhere along the way, we lost the location of that well-known song. And I want you to understand that if you lose the location, you lose all the hope. Where the saints go really matters. And there is a hint in that song that I hadn't thought about until I was studying for this passage. And it's a hint that there is another number or group of people I want to be in that number, not the other one. Who go to another place by another way. And that it's that kind of maybe maybe a sequel to that song that I'm giving to you today. When the rebels go spilling. The book we're in, 
is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it shouldn't surprise you that what is revealed to us is that Jesus is the reason the saints go in. But he's also the reason the rebels spill out. Normally, when I'm preaching, I, I want to I want to think about like who all's in the room. What I mean is not not individual people, but groups of people. You know, we have children, uh, we have teenagers, we have young adults, we have married people, single people, uh, we have people who are empty nesters. And I'm thinking about how does this this passage apply to each group? And I might draw that out during the sermon. I, I just want to tell you from the beginning. Whatever group you're in, I'm inviting you to listen to the whole thing. Like this whole thing is very applicable to you. Because every single one of us will be in one of those numbers. And, and so it's important for every one of us. To watch Jesus very closely. Because again, he is at the heart of what happens to both. So point number one, I want you to see in verses 14 through 16. Point number one, the son is ready. That's what we see in these verses, 14 through 16. The son is ready. Now, if you've not been with us throughout um, Chapters 12 through 14, I'm, I'm going to catch you up real quick. Uh, th- this section of Revelation are seven stories. <clears throat> and these seven stories together tell all of history from God's perspective. Each story has the is focused on one person or group of people. Last time we saw the story of three angels who were warning about hell. They were warning that hell is coming. Look, look again in chapter 14 and, and verse 10, where the third angel says that, that, um, those who do not believe in Jesus will drink of the wine of God's wrath and will be tormented with fire in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb that is Jesus and their smoke from them burning. From those people burning will go up forever and ever. That was the story of the three angels warning about hell. Well, this one we're in right now is the seventh story. And it starts us in verse 14 with the sun standing ready. This final snippet of history is about this person called the Son of Man. And that that is a nickname that God gives to his own son. And he uses that throughout this book especially because God is wanting for Christians who are persecuted 
by those who are powerful. God wants us to think of our Savior in this term, that He is the King of kings. He is the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. That's why in verse 14, He's got a crown on His head because He's the one who's ready to conquer the whole world. God wants Christians, while he's talking about the things of Revelation, Christians who are pressured to be to become impure, to give away their trust in the Lord, he wants us to know what our king is doing right now and he's sitting on a cloud. Now, some of the ways we talk about heaven, that's not going to be any surprise to you. You think, well, I'll be riding a horse. Maybe his thing is surfing on them clouds. That's not what he's doing. Um, and, and Jesus is not sitting on a cloud because he's taking a quick five. The clue as to what the Son of Man is sitting on a cloud ready to do is is in what he is gripping. What he is gripping. There's a sickle in his hand. Which means he's not just Daniel's king of kings. He's Joel's farmer. This is why we read Joel 3 earlier. That's where this image comes from. Joel promised one day the Lord would swing a sickle and he would gather rebels, wicked, unbelieving people. He would gather them like a farmer gathers crops and then he would pay them back. For rebelling against him. Beloved. The son is ready. To use that sickle. He's just sitting on the cloud. Holding it ready. And verses 15 and 16. Tell us. What will happen at the end of history. There is a moment coming. When a messenger will come to the son sitting on a cloud and give permission from God the Father to use that sickle because the earth at that point will have been ripe. Now, earlier in my journey as a Christian, that journey earlier Before I was as holy as I am now, that was a joke. But it was earlier and I was less holy. Um, I I watched a movie. That's why I told you that I was before I was, you know, as holy. Um, And this movie is worthless. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, I would not watch it. And I'm only mentioning it. Because I'm guessing you ain't so holy either. I'm guessing you know with this movie. So you you may remember 
a scene where there are people who are sitting around a table and they're sharing what they think of Jesus. I like to think of Jesus like a baby wearing a tuxedo or whatever. <laughs> it's something like that. Thank you, Maggie. And then, and then someone will go, someone next will, 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 will say what they like to think of when they think of Jesus. And <laughs> I don't recall there being a Bible in sight whenever they were saying this. Now, ironically, in the Bible belt, our views of Jesus do not line up with what God says about Jesus either. So you may have thoughts in your head when you think of Jesus, you like to think of him in these kinds of ways. Well, the sickle swinging judge of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior who weeps because people will not choose to come to Him to be saved. And He is also like a farmer who is, whose eyes are on his crops and all he's waiting for is for the fruit to ripen. All he's waiting for are for these rebels to ripen. If you stay in the image, all he's waiting for is for the rebels to get more and more guilty of denying him. To, he's just watching them ripen and, the, and living for anything else as if anything else is better than him. That's Jesus Christ as well. The Son is ready to come in judgment the moment that the Father gives word. Time's up. That's where he is. The Son is ready and he's willing. I mean, there's nothing in here about him procrastinating. As if swinging the sickle to reap the rebels is a, is a chore that he does not want. No, he's just waiting for God to give him the go-ahead. So I wonder, is there room in your view of the Savior for him to be gripping that sickle right now. I'm assuming you take this word as from God. How should we relate to Jesus now and every day since he is sitting on a cloud ready? You don't have to answer that just yet because there's, there's more descriptions of what the Son is ready for that come to us in verses 17 through 20. Which I'll just tell you. It says that 
once rebellion fills up, wrath spills out. So the sun is ready. And then point number two, to spill the blood of rebels. That is, you could say, the sermon in a sentence. Those two points together. The son is ready to spill the blood of rebels. Verses 17 through 20. God is describing how Jesus will judge those who rebel against him. And. And when God describes that, he doesn't take us to the Catholic's purgatory. He, he doesn't talk about some place where we will experience a punishment for a little while, but end up in heaven. When, when, God, when God describes the way that Jesus will judge rebels, he, he doesn't reach back for an image he used before, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, where, where the guilty one... Uh, was transformed into a pillar of salt. It's not as if rebels will experience the judgment of Jesus and and really what it will amount to is them just being like statues that aren't really conscious of what happens in the afterlife. That's not the way God describes it. After saying that the rebels who are opposed to God, are ripe and ready to be harvested. In verses 18 and 19, notice, there are these clusters of grapes that are drawn out by the sickle and then thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God. And what's so terrible is that the grapes that are crushed in that wine press, the grapes are people. Which is why I say, the sun is ready, according to God's word here for us today, the sun is ready to spill the blood of rebels. And we will not be able to say, no one in this room will be able to say that God did not warn us. You are hearing right now how gruesome hell is. The last passage we saw was another look at how gruesome hell is. It's it's like a fire that burns rebels Forever, and yet they never die. We've been told rebelling against an eternal God earns eternal suffering. And now we're being told. When the image shifts to a wine press. That rebelling against. The God who gave us life warrants that that life represented in the blood 
be squeezed out of us. Friends, this is what hell will be like. And it does you no good to turn your eyes away from it. Look long at it. He's painting a graphic scene. Look at it. He describes this as the winepress of the wrath of God in verse 19. In other words, this is, this is a judgment that is wrath, which, which means it's God's personal anger against persons. He's not just angry about sin. As if that an impersonal disobedience kind of thing. He's angry at people. These people who have rebelled against him. And because it's personal anger, it is a person who carries out his wrath. And what we're going to see in chapter 19, whenever we get there, is Jesus get in that wine press. And it will be his feet that crush the bodies of rebels until, just to keep the image, until their blood squirts out like a grape's juice. Look at it. And don't turn your eyes. In verse 20, the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Like we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, these numbers are symbolic. 1600 is the sum of four times ten squared. Four and ten represent completeness. Ten commandments, the complete law of God. Four corners of the world, all over the world. It's complete judgment, in this case, of every single rebel. And this picture is symbolic, but listen to me, that does not mean it's an exaggeration. If verse 15 was pointing us to the quality of the son's judgment, that those he judges will be right. In other words, that their rebellion would have matured to its fullness such that the rebels clearly, in terms of quality, they deserve God's judgment. That was verse 15. Verse 20 is calling our attention away from quality to quantity. The quantity of those who will be judged by the Son. 
So imagine if the wine press was in the middle of our town square. Jesus will step on the bodies of enough rebels for blood to spill out from the town square west all the way to Lubbock. And blood that will spill out north all the way to Oklahoma City. And blood that will spill out east all the way to Tyler. And blood that will spill out south all the way to Austin. And not only will it reach those distances in this image, but the blood will be high enough to drown a horse. Church, I'm I'm afraid that the Christian religion that surrounds us will hide the truth of hell from us. How many funerals have you been to where hell was considered a real possibility for the one who died? If you go to enough funerals in Graham, if you go to enough churches in Graham, you may be told that hell is real, but you'll also be led to believe that no one you know actually goes there. Friends, it's, it's likely that people in this room will go there. The sun is ready to spill the blood of rebels. And therefore, you and I should never be casual about hell. Now, hell should make us worship. Can I start there? It should make us worship. Because our God has been so patient with rebels. He is worthy of our worship that this hasn't yet happened. And He is worthy of our worship when it does. Because He will then show He's not just patient. He is also completely just. Hell should not make us casual. It should make us humble. It should humble everyone who will not have their blood spilled by the sun. Christians should be the most humble people in all the world. What do you have to be proud about? What would you brag about? Ever. When we believe what we have Earned. 
with all our best is this. Humbled that God would not give us this. That He would bring us to heaven. Redeemer Church, hell should make us worship. Hell should make us humble. And hell should make us urgent. Because even if we're not going there, so many will. So many rebels will go spilling out. So, whenever you see rebellion, whether that is in a child, in a child who hates being told no, don't wink at it. Don't count to three. Don't excuse it. Whenever you see rebellion in adults who may have perfect attendance in church, but whose hearts and loves are obviously tied to this world and they are unmoved by the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever you see rebellion, what we need to be thinking about is Well, each of those, every single act of rebellion, you can think of it this way. Every single act of rebellion. I don't know if you've ever seen a chef take an orange and roll it back and forth on a counter. Before he cuts into it. So that it would be as juicy as it possibly could be for his purposes. And the way this passage describes rebellion is every act of rebellion is like that. And God's son is ready to squeeze that person in judgment. Hell should make us urgent to offer escape from hell. I You have to look closely in this passage for that hope. But I see it. I see hope and a hint of escape in verse 20. I wonder if you can see it. Uh, do Do you see just a hint of hope? Even in the title, when the the rebels go spilling out. And what, what I mean is there there's. There's hope in that last word, out, out, outside the city. Verse 20, outside the city, meaning there is a city that's safe. The city is the new Jerusalem. Where God lives with his people. And there is. The hint of good news. And that if you get inside the city. There is the sanctuary there. So if you're here. 
And you can acknowledge that you have lived as if hell is not real. And if you actually look at your life, you, 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 you seem to function like you've not really done anything bad enough if there is a real hell for a real God to punish you there. I understand that there may be some who understand that here. And, and yet God tells us that when this sort of thing is preached, that, that some people know that and they just disregard it. So that may not be, that may be you. And if, if that's you, then I have nothing to offer you. But God says that some people will believe this. That even if you are right now deserving of hell, you may right now be believing that God would be right to spill your blood. I wonder if anyone here is like that. And I want to offer you something. And I, I, I want to offer you an escape that actually was illustrated for me recently in a children's movie. It's called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I don't know if you've seen this cartoon that Disney put on. The Hunchback of Notre Dame teaches about hell. There's this woman whose name is Esmeralda. And she's accused of witchcraft. And the whole city gathers in agreement that she's deserving of hell. And so they're going to send her there by burning her at the stake. And as the fire is rising and is about to consume her, the hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo, he swoops in and he plucks her out of the fire. And all the the city is objecting to this, but he carries her to the city's church. Because that is the place that gave him a home. When the world rejected him for being deformed and ugly. And I want you to listen because what the hunchback did then illustrates that hint of good news that I'm finding in verse 20. When the hunchback got that rebel to the church, he cried, sanctuary, sanctuary. Sanctuary. Because it was written in the laws of that city that the guilty can legally escape. Can legally escape their judgment. If in their desperation, they get to the right place. And so the crowd, whenever they they go from objecting to what the hunchback is doing to hearing sanctuary, 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 they hear those words in that place. And even the executioner knows that when the hunchback got her there and cried that word, that no lynch mob could come in to punish her anymore. And friends, there is a city. And there is a sanctuary. There, the sun who is ready to spill the blood of rebels, there he already 
shed his own blood for rebels. God raised Jesus after he died on the cross for sinners to show that God is willing. That is written down in his laws that he will give sanctuary to every single rebel who believes you have earned hell, but who will trust God and claim sanctuary in his son. So my question for you this morning is, do you believe Christ's blood will be accepted in place of your blood. The son is ready. Very soon. He'll get that word. And every soul in this room. And in this world. Will divide into two lines. And one will be marched off to the wine press. And the other will go into that sanctuary city. What number will you be in? Lord Jesus, we thank you. That you have so clearly revealed yourself in your word. You have overcome all the lies that we have heard and all the ones we've written in our own hearts about who you are and who we are. We thank you that hell, when it comes, will be just. And we thank you that it doesn't have to come to us. We thank you that you shed blood for rebels. And there is sanctuary in your name. Lord Jesus, may we flee to that place right now. Amen.